I've never had anyone introduce me and then proceed to, to be funny. But um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, if you can't notice, uh, I've been a little under the weather this week, so I covet your prayers this morning as we open God's Word. Uh, I promise you that it's always in times like this that God always shows up, so we anticipate nothing less. Um, just a few quick additional announcements that I want to make sure that I handle um, before I get started this morning. Um, so this uh, cri the Christmas Eve on, the, on Friday and Saturday that we have our services, during our services we're going to be um, receiving an offering for, uh, that we're calling the, our legacy offering. And um, what we're doing, and, and I want to make sure that I, I present the vision for this, because this isn't just a, an additional offering. This, this offering is specifically for world missions, because we believe that we have a, we have a um, responsibility to the world, the entire world, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And so um, every dollar that's given in our legacy offering this year will be, give, be going specifically to the Dominican Republic. Um, we've got a, a hope center that we help out there. We've got um, a, a, a ministry called uh, the Metro West Caribbean Mission. And every dollar is going to help the Dominican Republic and uh, there's over a thousand kids that, that the Metro West Caribbean Mission sponsors um, with healthcare and education, and it is just an absolute incredible opportunity for us to give. And so, um, and we ask that every person that's a part of the refuge that you pray about how much you want your family to give, um, and it's a great opportunity to um, for that one last tax write-off for the year. If I'm being 100% honest with you. Um, and so, uh, would you consider giving that to our legacy offering that doesn't go to benefit this house? It goes to benefit other people because that's what legacy does. It benefits others. And so, um, one other announcement is that, so one week from today is Christmas and then the following week is New Year's. That's the way it works every single year. And so um, on New Year's Day, we want, you know, there's no greater time to start fresh and to start new than on New Year's Day. And this year we've been given a unique opportunity because New Year's Day is on Sunday. And so we are doing, um, we're going to give you an opportunity to start your year fresh, more fresh than you ever have by having a baptism Sunday on New Year's Eve. And so we invite you to sign up, refugemain.church slash baptism. And uh, if, you, if you were a part of our last baptism service, uh, then you understand how powerful it's going to be. Uh, we baptized 13, and uh, just so you, uh, if you weren't here, um, we had... We have five people sign up, and three people show up to get baptized, and we baptize 13. And so 
Um, that's the way I explained the, that's the very quick version of what took place. But the Holy Spirit showed up and it was, an, it was a very powerful, powerful Sunday. And we believe that, that Christmas Day is going to be super, super special. So um, we ask you all to join us there. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to conclude this series that we're calling uh, A Non-Religious Christmas. And um, the reason for the title is because uh, a few months ago in October, I went out to coffee with my friend Jameson uh, that was singing this morning. And um, I, I said to him, I feel like Satan has used religion more than any other tool to tear apart the kingdom of God. The reason for that is because because of religion and because of what people have, have done to other people in the name of religion, some people choose not to believe in God based on someone that God isn't at all. Based on the way people do things in the name of God that God wouldn't have done in the first place. And so oftentimes we get this formulated opinion about who God is based on how people treat us or how churches treat us and not based on what the Bible tells us about him. And so it's really important to have good theology. It's really important to know who God is. And so this series has been explaining week one we talked about why Jesus came to earth. He came to fulfill the law and to save us from our sin. And so we said that he came to fulfill the law, not force us to obey the law. Our identity has always been, always been intended to be in Jesus, not in the law or legalism. And so that's why we call this a non-religious Christmas, because it's not about the law. It's not about doing. It's about being. God is way more concerned with who Adam Harold is than he is concerned about what Adam Harold does. So we want to make sure that we always hold in check what I'm, who I am versus what I'm doing. And let me just say real quick, the two do go together because when you are a believer in Jesus, you do things differently. You act differently. You are different than the other. That's what holy means. It means, it means separate. It means set apart, different. We are different, but it's not based on what we do. It's based on who we are. Week two, last week, we talked about keeping Christ in Christmas. Our big idea was keeping Christ in Christmas is so much more than a greeting in December. So much more than a greeting in December. It's about, it's about every single day spending time with Jesus. Every single day opening God's word, learning who he is. That's how we keep Christ and Christmas. Today we're going to wrap it up, and I'm just going to be honest with you. We're going to have a little bit of fun today. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson of Christmas and all things Christmas because 
we're talking about acknowledging the meaning of Christmas. Acknowledging the meaning of Christmas. We're going to look at seven Christmas traditions that we all have um, and, and why we do them. Because I believe that if you're going to if you're going to focus on who you are more than what you do, you got to focus on why you do what you do. You have to examine your why. Why do we do this in the first place? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to talk about Christmas traditions today. So let me ask you real quick to begin. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? What is your favorite tradition? Christmas tradition. Take 30 seconds. Tell your neighbor what your favorite family Christmas tradition is. If you don't like your neighbor, tell your other neighbor. It's okay. All right. What's your favorite Christmas tradition? (laughs) I think my favorite Christmas tradition is probably... Um, every year I buy my wife perfume, so uh, that's one of my favorites because I like her smelling good. <laughs> a couple years ago, I started buying perfume for my kids because I like them smelling good too. But uh, but yeah, I think that's one of my favorite traditions that I do. Um, I haven't bought that yet this year, by the way, kids. So um, put in your request. Um, we all have different traditions that we all do, that we, that we all enjoy, and we all do them for different reasons. Um, today, we're going to talk about acknowledging the meaning behind the traditions that we do. Again, I believe Satan has used religion more than anything else to tear apart God's kingdom because people choose to, di- to not believe in God based on who he isn't at all. And so what happens is we, we do traditions even in church. We sing songs every time we come together. But why do we do that? And I think it's important that we examine our why. This entire series has been built on Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. The words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, Verse 17, before I read that, I want to ask God to speak to us. Can I do that today? Father, I believe that you can speak through so many different things. Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that you would speak through my crackling voice, my weak voice, that you would use it. Because it is not my word, but it is your word that matters. So God, I ask that you would speak to us today, speak to our hearts, and help us to live differently because you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. Jesus is speaking. I think what a great sentence to begin every Christmas season with. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I have come to accomplish their purpose. 
Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law, to cancel the law, but he came to fulfill the law. The law has always been intended to point us towards our salvation. Every single time the law is used to point us to our salvation, to our need for a Messiah, to our need for a king. So we have to understand why the law was there. It was there to point us to Jesus. We have to, um, Jesus is more concerned about who we are than what we do. I think that that's what, one of the things that Jesus is saying here, that he didn't come to, to delete the law. Remember we said in week one, we said delete, um, completion of the law doesn't mean deletion of the law. It doesn't mean we throw it all out. It's still going to affect the way that we live. Because what we do is still a part of who we are. One of the things that I've learned over the last, probably in the last year for sure, has been that when I realize that I am acting out of character, when I am acting out of not, based on not who I am, I can change course pretty quickly. If you realize that this isn't who you are in the first place, you can stop doing whatever it is that you're not wanting to do. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you are a drunk, then it's a lot harder. And so it's a lot harder to, to stop doing if you identify yourself as that. But when you say, this isn't my character, this isn't who I am, this isn't who God has made me to be, it's a whole lot easier to say, I'm not going to do that any longer because it's not who you are in the first place. So maybe the question we should be asking this morning is, who are you? Who are you? Christmas time uh, is a time that if we're not careful we can fall into the religious trap of doing. Just the hustle and the bustle, the task. Like doing and doing and doing and really not even stopping to say, why am I doing this in the first place? It's really healthy to ask yourself, why? Why are you doing this in the first place? Why are you doing it? And that brings me to today's big idea. If I have one thing I want you to, to get today, one truth, it would be this. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because it's important to celebrate the fact that God wanted to be with us. The reason we celebrate Christmas, it's important to celebrate the fact that God wanted to be with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is Matthew writing, and he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He, he's quoting what Isaiah had said hundreds of years prior, that God wants to be with 
his people. How does that make you feel this morning? God wants to be with you. Now, some of us might sit there and go, how in the world would God want to be with me when, I'm, when I do this or when I do that or when I do this? Some of you might be saying, wow, that makes me feel really special that God wants to be with us. I hope that it makes you have a sense of purpose, that it helps you realize that God loves you, that he cares about you. And that he wants to be with you every single day, not just at Christmas time. It's not just a Christmas truth. It's a daily truth. God wants to be with us. We have to acknowledge why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And I think one thing that helps us is if we acknowledge the traditions that we celebrate And so today we're going to examine, or we're going to look at seven traditions that I've just picked out. I mean, there's there's some some special things about each one of them. But um, it would be appropriate for me to say this this morning. If there are parents in the room that have have children in here, um, we're going to talk about some Christmas traditions and truths that you may not want your kids to know. So if there are kids in here, I can't see if there are, but if there are kids in here and you want to make sure you protect some Christmas traditions that we have, then we're going we're gonna to address some things like Santa Claus and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So just make sure that you um, are, are aware of that. And, if, and, and, and now you are aware of that. So you're welcome. I am not responsible for any questions that kids ask after service because I put you on the hook. It's so funny. Like, um, there are times that I have to give that announcement, and um, usually it's centered around a three-letter word that begins with letter S and not a four-letter word like Santa. So... um, Number one, the first Christmas tradition. Let's get on with it. <laughs> Some of you just got it. Let's talk about the tradition of December the 25th. December the 25th. Why do we celebrate Christmas on December the 25th? Have you ever thought about that question? Because um, oftentimes people believe and people say things like, well, Jesus wasn't born in December. Jesus wasn't born in the wintertime. How... Why would there be shepherds abiding in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night if it's in the dead of December? Like, no shepherd in their right mind would do that. So they might th- think things like um, say, or like uh, Jesus wasn't born uh, in December. And so uh, why do we celebrate December the 25th? I found this to be very, very interesting. The first December 25th celebration of the birth of Christ took place in A.D. 336. So 336 years after the death of Jesus is when the first December 25th was celebrated. This odd, there there is an odd Jewish belief 
that a prophet, and this is why we celebrate on the 25th, there's an odd Jewish belief that a prophet would die on the same day as his conception. A prophet would die on the same day as his conception. Many scholars believe that Jesus' uh, Jesus' death took place on March the 25th. And if you count nine months later from March the 25th, you get December 25th. And that's why we celebrate on December the 25th. Pretty interesting, isn't it? The second Christmas tradition, these will go pretty quick, most of them, is the Christmas tree. Why do we put up Christmas trees? We don't have any Christmas trees this year because, let's be honest, we're waiting till after Christmas until the fake ones go on sale. So there'll be Christmas trees next year. All right. Baller on a budget. That's all I'm going to say. We're ballers on a budget. This is our first Christmas uh, decorating. And by the way, our team did a phenomenal job. Have you figured out how the boxes are, are still standing uh, yet yeah, as you walk in? You won't, by the way. You won't. So why do we put up Christmas trees? In her book, Encyclopedia of Christmas and New Year's Traditions, by the way, um, I would highly recommend that, it's especially if you're looking at Christmas and New Year's traditions. Tanya Gulovich wrote that book, and In it, she explains what the beginning of the Christmas tree tradition is. Medieval Christians would celebrate something called Adam and Eve's feast day on December the 24th by performing a mystery play that was called the Paradise Play, and they would that would take place around a tree. Why would I mean? Um, so if you think about the story of Adam and Eve, there are two trees in the, in the Garden of Eden, the knowledge of good and evil, and the knowledge of, or, and the tree of life. And, and so they would set up trees for these plays, and because it took place on December the 24th, and they wanted green trees, they had to use fir trees or evergreen trees. And then this is really, really interesting. Because they would, use, they would use these evergreen trees and they would have a paradise play symbolizing the Garden of Eden, they would hang apples on these trees for the paradise play. And on December the 25th, people would eat those apples. And on the 26th, they'd spin it in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was a bad joke. Bad joke. Sorry. I, just, I blame the cold medicine. Um, so, but, like, but they would hang apples on the tree, and that's why we hang an, um, ornaments on our Christmas trees today because of the paradise place. Now, why in the world, and this is really important for preaching, why would they celebrate or why would they have a paradise play in the first place? One of the most interesting and, and deep thoughts about Jesus in the New Testament was written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. In the book of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul uses a name for Jesus that we don't talk about enough. Let me read it for you in verse 14. 
Romans 5.14 says, still everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus. Jesus is known as the second Adam, the second chance. He's the redemption. He's, he's the, the redeemer. The second Adam is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. Some people might say, it's not fair that I'm considered a sinner because I didn't directly disobey the command of God. There are people that believe that. It's not fair. You say your God is just, but it's not fair that I, that I, am, I inherit sin of Adam. I would say it's not fair that Jesus gets to be the second Adam to take on that sin by dying on the cross, by bearing our sin and our shame to redeem us, to give us a chance to be completely new creatures. What a beautiful story. Jesus is the second Adam. Number three, the third holiday tradition I want to talk about are Advent calendars. Does anyone do an Advent calendar? Yeah, we, we got a few Advent calendars out there um, a few years ago. Tanya bought a, um, I should have brought it, but um, it's just a, a hanging one with a bunch of pockets on it instead of doors. And so now we just buy the chocolate and put it, stuff it in each one of the, um, each one of the pockets. And, and it's a little bit more DIY. That's kind of her style. So um, Advent calendars are the, the calendars that you pull out, a, a, you, nowadays a piece of chocolate, you open a door and it counts down the days to, uh, to Christmas and you get behind and you're like, oh man, I got some chocolate to eat, right? <laughs> this last week, uh, because everyone was sick in my house, the kids are like, whoa, I got like a whole week to eat. It's like, yeah, you better get to eating. Um, I found this to be really interesting. Early versions of this tradition started in Germany in 1930 by publisher uh, Gerard Land offered a way of children to count down the days of Christmas by opening a door or a window. Now, in 1930, kids, the doors that they would open would reveal a Bible passage, a poem, or a small gift. And since gaining mass popularity in 1920, the calendars have evolved to secular calendars, including daily gifts like many bottles of wine. Anybody have? No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, many bottles of wine, uh, po nail polish, and chocolates or action figures to this day. Can you imagine being the kids in, in uh, 1903? It was 1903, by the way, not 19, 1930. 
Again, I blame the cold medicine. Um, 1903, the kids would be so eager to open the door and to find a scripture, a, a, a Bible verse to read. Um, and now kids just want the, want the chocolate. My, 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 how far we've come. Um, number four, gift giving. Why do we give gifts on, on Christmas? Why do we give gifts on Christmas? Um, again, something I find to be really interesting. Is it because Jesus is the ultimate gift? I, and I, I think that it's, it's really necessary to, to, to teach our kids that the reason we give gifts is because Jesus is the best gift ever given. We celebrate the best gift ever given on Christmas because we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's good enough for me. But there's more to it. Europeans have exchanged midwinter gifts with one another since ancient times. Until relatively recently, uh, most of these gifts traded hands around New Year's Day. So they would, they would take place on New Year's Day. Um, and, and then there's, an, uh, there's another day on December the 6th known as St. Nicholas Day. And it would celebrate um, the patron saint of children. And so... They, and that was, uh, was St. Nicholas, was the patron saint of children. And so it would celebrate St. Nicholas, and they would celebrate St. Nick's Day by giving gifts on December the 6th. And after the American Revolution, Dutch immigrants came to New York City and promoted their traditions. And they noticed that Christmas, that was between December the 6th and New Year's, New Year's Day, what was happening was people were getting really wasted on Christmas Day. They were getting super drunk on Christmas Day. And they felt like Christmas, because it was the birth of Jesus, it was still the birth of Jesus, Christmas should be a family holiday. And so they took the gift giving that they were already doing on December the 6th or New Year's Eve, and they said, let's focus that on the family. Let's, let's bring that back to Christmas so that we can celebrate really why we celebrate Christmas in the first place, our, our families being together. So if, if anything else, give Christmas presents because you love your family, because you love each other. But when you can understand that it's the ultimate gift ever given was Jesus, and that's why we celebrate it, I think it just makes it so much more beautiful and it helps you understand why, why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. So don't make it about consumerism. Make it about each other. Number five, speaking of the big guy, let's talk about Santa Claus. Just this last week, I had a conversation with a young dad, called me, and he said, Pastor Adam, and, and I say young dad like as in his, um, his child has been born within the last couple of years, and he's like, what should we, what should we teach my, my child about, about Santa Claus? Like, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? And my answer to him was, was pretty simple. And it was, just don't make it legalistic. Like, just don't, just don't make it about the law, right? Just, just teach her truth, but do it in a way that, that she understands that, that Jesus is the ultimate gift always, number one. But um, when you're teaching your kids about about Santa Claus, it's really important that you keep in mind that Santa Claus is based on a real guy, based on a, on a real man. And, and 
I can understand why someone would, um, would be, be concerned about teaching your kid about Santa Claus and then they get older and they get let down. I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm, that's all I'm going to say there. Um, because what happens if they get, as they get older and how are they going to view Jesus? And, and I think that's why it's so important to make sure we always teach that Santa Claus is based on a real person. St. Nicholas lived in the late 3rd to early 4th centuries. Very little is known about St. Nicholas. By the Middle Ages, however, he had become one of Europe's most venerated non-biblical saints. In France and Germany, more than 2,000 churches carried the saint's name, bearing silent testimony to the intensity of his past devotions. St. Nicholas was the um, St. Nicholas was the Christmas season gift bringer in parts of Northern Europe. He, his legend and, uh, and, and the United States surrounding uh, it traveled to America and European immigrants. And in the United States, Nicholas was, St. Nicholas was transformed into Santa Claus. His new American name evolved from the old Dutch name, Sinterklaas. Although Nicholas, Nicholas's popularity has declined considerably since medieval times, some Europeans still celebrate his feast, which falls on December the 6th. When it comes to Santa Claus, the tradition, many people credit guys like Washington Irving, the scholar Clement Moore, and the illustrator Thomas Nast. Um, I believe he illustrated Towards the Night Before Christmas, which will be read during our, the, one of my favorite things we do at the Refuge of the Tradition is we conclude every uh, Christmas Eve service with Towards the Night Before Christmas, and it's a very, very special day. So teach your kids who St. Nicholas was. He was um, the, the Catholic Church has deemed him as a special saint. Now, as believers, as, as Protestants, we believe that all people are saints, that, we are all, that all people that believe in Jesus are saints because, because we have him, we possess him. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our identity. And so we are all saints. And so we don't focus on any individuals specifically, but St. Nicholas was a, was a real man that lived, that, that gave gifts to kids. There's not a whole lot that's known about his life other than that. Number six, Christmas wreaths. Why do we hang up those round circular evergreens in the first place? And by the way, the last two are, are pretty Christian um, Christian based. Wreaths have been around since uh, Greek and Roman times, but uh, evergreen cri- uh, Christmas wreaths often adorn with bows of holly eventually took on Christian meaning because of their circular shape representing the eternal life that God offers us. And the holly leaves and berries are used to symbolize the blood of Jesus that he wore on the crown of thorns. 
shedding his blood to take away our sin. And so when you look at a Christmas wreath, it's supposed to symbolize the crown of thorns and the eternal life that God wants to offer us. And that brings me to number seven, good old handy-dandy candy cane. The candy cane, it's believed that the red stripes on the candy cane represent the blood of Jesus. The white stripes represent the purity of Jesus, that he was sinless, he was spotless. It can very easily be turned upside down to be a J to remind us of Jesus' first initial, right? But it can very easily be turned upside this way to remind us of the shepherd's staff that leaves the 99 to go after the one. The three thin stripes represent the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The solid texture, the, the hardness of the candy symbolize the solid rock foundation that Jesus is. To build our rock, our foundation on the rock of Jesus. The peppermint is said to come from hyssop, to stem from an herb called hyssop. I want to read for you John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge and they put it on a hyssop branch. They held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. Even the candy cane points us to a savior. As you leave today, we've got candy canes for everybody. So make sure everybody gets a candy cane on your way out. That you would look at it. That you would never look at a candy cane the same ever again. Because it's to remind us not of the birth of Jesus, but of the death of Jesus. And hallelujah, he is not dead today. He is alive. He is well. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he makes it easy for us to have a relationship with our Father once again. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I can't think of anything better to celebrate this Christmas than for the 
to celebrate people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the story of Christmas. That God wanted to be with us. But God is a gentleman. He doesn't force his way into anyone's lives that don't want him there. He waits for an invitation. But he's standing and he's pursuing you waiting for you to ask him. So as we wrap up this series on non-religious Christmas, we're not asking you to become religious. We're asking you to start a relationship with your Savior. The question is, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you received the free gift of salvation. Here's what I want to do. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands today. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. My friend Brooke and Dave are up here. If you have any burdens that you have this week that you've carried, that you're just tired of carrying, maybe you've been carrying them much longer than a week. There was a lady that was in the Bible that carried the it says she carried an issue of blood with her for 12 years she pursued Jesus to finally get her answer of healing maybe you've been carrying something with you for a long time and it's time that you give it over to God I want to invite you to come and to pray with Brooke or to pray with Dave if you say this prayer with me would you do me a favor would you fill out one of these cards Will you mark on it that I'm committing to follow Jesus? I'm recommitting to follow Jesus. Drop it in the black box so I can send you a note of encouragement. If you want to receive Jesus today, just say, God, I know I need you. I know I've done wrong. I know I've sinned. And because of my sin, I can't have a relationship with you. But because of Jesus, because he came, because he lived, because he died, and because he came back to life, I can identify with you and have a relationship with you. Come into my life, save me, and help me live for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, please mark that card. Let us know. We want to celebrate you today. Has God been good? Come on. Has God been good? Let's sing a song and then we'll be dismissed.